Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we consider blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. That's the end of the reading. Good morning. Uh, my name is Adrian. I'm the person that's been referred to as Foxy, if you didn't know. Uh, we are in Job 42. We're at the end. We're running. There is a slide with a picture of someone finishing a marathon, because we are finishing. Uh, but uh, if you want, there's an outline. You can follow along with this. But one of the things I reckon uh, that's really a classic storyline is suffering, then glory. Suffering, then glory. Or glory through suffering. Classic storyline. And it really is the sort of storyline that is woven into all of life. Uh, the Olympics, they may be coming soon, I'm pretty sure. Well, I shouldn't say that. I think they're coming soon. Um, but if, if they do happen, we will hear that pattern repeated. Suffering, then glory. Uh, there is suffering before the Olympics. Uh, athletes train hard, sacrifice time, overcome injuries, overcome COVID, work through mental health struggles. Almost every athlete will suffer as they prepare. But then as an athlete takes the start line, Really, no matter what their result, there is glory. The glory of the Olympics. The glory of representing their country. The glory of representing their people. And for some, the glory of a podium finish. The glory of winning. Suffering, then glory. Uh, it's, it's woven into our world. You probably can even relate to it in your own life, I'm sure. Um, but it's also a pattern that's woven into scripture. Uh, God's people suffer, and then through suffering comes glory. Last year, uh, as we kind of landed in the, the lockdown, our church read through the Genesis end part, uh, looking at the story of Joseph uh, and, you know, the one with the special coat. And he really knew a lot about suffering. He was hated by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit, sold to slave traders. Then in the master's house, he was condemned of a crime he did not commit. He was thrown into prison and he was forgotten. Uh, he suffered. He suffered terribly. But... God ends up raising him up and he ends up basically ruling over Egypt and brings blessing to the whole world. Suffering, then glory. Uh, glory through suffering. Uh, over and over again, we'll see that pattern in our lives, that pattern in scripture. But here's the problem. I so often want to skip the suffering bit and go straight to glory. <laughs> I don't know if you feel the same way. Uh, but, uh, you know, especially when the suffering seems so much to bear, but the book of Job it confirms the pattern once again, suffering, then glory. There are really no shortcuts. We want the glory, we must expect the suffering. Because Job, he has suffered. Uh, all his possessions taken away, all his family except for his wife killed, even his own flesh has been attacked. Uh, but the majority of this book is about him suffering in a slightly different way. His friends have accused him. They have said he must be suffering for some secret sin. 
And so Job has experienced the suffering of loss, but for most of the book, he's suffering the suffering of unjust or false accusation. And it is this undeserved suffering that really puts a fire in Job's belly. He knows he is a blameless believer. He knows he is right with God. And so for his friends to accuse him of sin, of sin that is worthy of such intense suffering, it hurts. He wants to be proven right. He wants to be justified before God. He wants his friends. He wants the heavens. He wants everyone to know that he is right before God. Not out of some strange arrogance, like he wants to be like, oh, look, I'm right before God. No, because righteousness, his relationship with God, is his greatest treasure. And finally, in chapter 42, this vindication comes. But it comes in the end. Suffering, then glory. Suffering, then vindication. Uh, Vindication in the end, that's the first point there. Uh, Vindication means to be proven right. Often when I think of vindication, I probably do think of it in a slightly childish way, that I told you so kind of vindication. But vindication is much deeper than that. I think about the Christian missionary who gives up their life for sharing the good news of Jesus in a hostile country. Or think of the persecuted church uh, who remain faithful, though some of them die. Uh, People might look on and they would think, wow, what idiots. They gave up their life for someone they can't even see. But on the day Jesus returns, they will be vindicated. They will be proven right. It will be shown that their sacrifice was of eternal worth, that their confession, Jesus is Lord, was right. Vindication, in the end, is good. And really, we need this vindication at the end to help us as we suffer. And Job 42 is a picture of vindication. Uh, The first side of this vindication is that the friends, the friends are condemned. In verse 7, the Lord speaks to Eliphaz the Temanite, the first friend who spoke in Job chapter 4, and God says, my anger burns against you. I'm angry with you and against your two friends. For you have spoken of me what is, you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. These, these are strong words. Never does God speak like this to Job. Remember our last two weeks, God asked Job questions. God sought to engage Job. God showed Job who he truly was. And never did he really put Job in his place quite like this. For God's anger to burn is no small thing. His anger burns in, the Old Testament, in Scripture really against idolatry. When his people worship a false god. Uh, An example of that would be uh, when his anger burned against his people, when they replaced him with a statue of a little golden calf. His anger burned. But but now his anger burns against their friends for the words they've spoken. And the question is, and it's it's a puzzling question, is why did the friends arouse such anger? After all, if you remember our time in this book, they said some things that sounded pretty good. Eliphaz, Chapter 4, he was right when he claimed that no mortal can be more righteous than God. Bildad, he was right a few times as well. He said God does not pervert justice in chapter 8. And Zophar, he was right when he said Job could not fathom the mysteries of God. They said right things. And so why does God's anger burn now? Partly, partly, I think, it's because they accused wrongly. They did a Satan-like thing. They accused 
Job of sin. And they made Job doubt God's goodness. They made Job doubt his justification before God. They might not have meant to, but this is what they did. And so God's anger burns against them. And I think they said these wrong things because they maybe had no real relationship with God. They'd reduced God to a cold mechanical system. They'd made God a bit like a computer program, enter in sin and outspit suffering. And if that's your system, well, there's no room for undeserved suffering. And so there was no real room for Job. See, unlike Job, they didn't wrestle with God. They sort of thought they had God worked out. They, they spoke like they knew him, uh, but they didn't, a bit like the Pharisees in the gospel. Job, on the other hand, he has cried out some very questionable things. He's disputed God's justice. He's darkened God's plans with words without knowledge. But in all of this, it was in a relationship with God. You actually can see Job's relationship with God grow over the book. He did this yearning for righteousness. And so there's something right about his words, even when they weren't quite right. The friends, their words are condemned. And God calls them to sacrifice uh, for their sins. And as always the case, it's a beautiful truth, God's burning anger is turned away. And they are forgiven in verse 9. The friends enjoy the foretaste, the sweetness of the gospel. It's quite a beautiful little scene. But in the context of Job's vindication, it's important to notice that their words were wrong. Their words were wrong. Uh, where they were condemned, Job is only commended. And that's the, there's three little things you can see about how Job is commended or vindicated. First, his words are approved, which I've already touched on. Second, he's called repeatedly my servant. God has called Job his servant before. You might remember back in chapter 1, uh, he was called my servant in the heavenly council. Uh, only the heavenly council heard this. But now he's called my servant in front of his friends. Not once, not twice, not three times, but four times he is called my servant. It's the title that is reserved for the office of a prophet or a king. At the Queen's birthday last, Queen's birthday last weekend, and there are those who are commended, you know, the Queen commends, an honour roll of sorts. This is really what Job receives here, the honour of being called my servant. The last little one is he's God's mediator. He's the go-between between the friends and God. Now, throughout this book, the friends have accused Job of sin. But now the friends are to take their sin, you know, their seven bulls and rams to Job, and Job is to pray on their behalf. He intercedes for his friends. In some ways, Job becomes like the high priestly figure that Jesus Christ is for us. Job's words are approved. Job is given the honor of being called my servant. And Job mediates, intercedes for his friends. There's no doubt, absolutely no doubt, that Job is right before God. His great yearning is fulfilled. His suffering, then glory. Glory through suffering. Now in Burn 10 a.m., this is what we look forward to. Right now, before the end, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but Job teaches us it, we will suffer. We will suffer. As followers of Jesus, we will be mocked. In this age, like Job, we will suffer unjust, false accusations as we hold out God's truth. We will suffer. But through suffering comes glory. In the end, your faith will be vindicated. You will be seen as right. 
Your words that confess Jesus is Lord will be approved. And in the end, God will say to you, my servant, a title of greatest honor, better than President of the United States of America, better than CEO of Amazon, better than any gold medal in the Olympic Games, you will be called by God, my servant. He comes at the end. So suffer now, looking forward to the end. Next, there is real blessing in the end, real blessing in the end. On Wednesday nights, I have Bible study at my house, uh, which means a group of people from Evening Church, they meet to read the Bible and pray. Uh, one of the women this week, uh, she had a birthday earlier in the week, and one of her friends came to Bible study with a, a cardboard bag of presents. And anyway, you know, the, there was a little bit of a ceremony, and she reached in and pulled out one present, and then she reached in and pulled out another present, and then she reached in and pulled out another present. It was like gift upon gift. And then the process went on from there because then each present had to be unwrapped. You know, first present, second present, third present. Joy upon joy, gift upon gift, joy upon joy. I was just sitting back watching and I was loving it. It was really kind of beautiful to watch this take place because it's kind of the picture, she didn't know she was doing this, but she was illustrating what we just read in the Bible, Job 42. Gift upon gift, joy upon joy. Because that's what we see. God is full of compassion and mercy and now Job receives grace upon grace, real blessings at the end. First, there is fortunes. Uh, 42 verse 10, after Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had had before. Twice. I mean, seriously, why twice? Do you remember the beginning of Job? Uh, he was known as the greatest man of all the people of the East. And so did he really need twice? Twice as much? But that's the point. God's grace, his kindness, knows no limit. God can take away, but he can give. And when he gives, he gives abundantly. In verse 13, Job's sheep, camel, oxen, donkeys, they are all doubled. Blessing at the beginning, double blessing at the end. Job is given fortunes. Next, he's given family in verse 11. All his brothers and sisters and everyone who had known him came before him and ate with him in his house. They comforted and consoled him over the trouble the Lord had brought on him. And each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now, Job, he hasn't known company like this throughout the book. Uh, he's been isolated in his suffering. Job 30 describes, we didn't get to it as we went through this sermon series. We didn't get to it. It is, it is a very sad scene which Job paints. He describes people who once honored him. And this is up on the screen now. Uh, now these young men mock me in song. I've become a byword among them. They detest me and keep their distance. They do not hesitate to spit in my face. My dignity is driven away as by wind. My safety vanishes like a cloud. Job was an outcast in his suffering. And it wasn't simply because he had boils covering his skin, but because like his friends, many would have thought his suffering was a result of sin. And so he was excluded. It's terrible, spat on. But now he has been vindicated. He's been proven right by God, shown to be right. And so he is restored. Brothers, sisters, everyone who knew him, eat with him and give him, a, and give him gold. This is the first meal that he's had with his family, uh, or with anyone since really his family died. This is the first feast we hear of. And you kind of wonder what this meal was like. It might have had a bit of a party feel to it. You know, Job is coming out of uh, his misfortune. 
But at the very least, we know there was comfort and consolation. Uh, I kind of think it's a bit hard. Someone asked me last week, what do you think that comfort was? Uh, I don't really know, but I know it wasn't the same comfort as the friends. You know, the friends were like, you've done wrong. That's why you're suffering. They might not have said it like that. They might have used a nicer tone. But basically, they accused of sin. But now this comfort is given to one who has been vindicated. And so you wonder how different this comfort must be. You add to this picture the gift of family. Job is given seven sons and three daughters, ten children. A picture of completeness and abundance. But lastly, Job receives full life. I don't know about you, I thought chapter three of Job was the hardest chapter uh, as we went through this series. It was a dark chapter. Uh, In it, Job cursed the day of his birth. He asked, why is light given to those in misery? He longed for death because at least then the pain and suffering would stop. For Job, in the intensity of suffering, he really cried out emotional words. Life was empty. It was unsatisfying and it was painful. But now at the end, Job lives 140 years. He sees generation upon generation of children, and he dies, verse 17, an old man, full of years, full years, satisfying years, life-filled, light-filled years. This comes at the end. One of the things I really love about the book of Job is its gospel shape. It, It kind of mirrors Jesus. Jesus, like Job, suffered the mocking of men, the accusation of religious leaders, and the darkness of the cross. All of this undeserved, like Job's suffering was undeserved. But then Jesus, like Job, was raised to life. He was vindicated. His resurrection proved he truly was God's servant, the Messiah. His resurrection proved his ability to be our mediator now and forever. And after his resurrection, like Job, he fellowshiped with the disciples who once fled and rejected him. You know, he ate that fish on the beach with them. And now Jesus lives. He lives a full life forever. Now, if this is true for Jesus, and if you and I are united by faith to Jesus, the end we see in Job is our end. There's suffering now, but through suffering comes glory. When Christ returns or when we go to be with him, there will be real blessing, real fortunes, real family, and real full life. Christopher Ash, got to get an Ash quote in. Christopher Ash writes uh, this kind of beautiful quote at, at, about the end. The blessing God will pour out on the believer at the end will be every bit as real as the blessings of Job. We look forward to fruitfulness that will make the most abundant family in the world seem barren. We look forward to prosperity that will make the Forbes list of billionaires seem poor. And we look forward to celebration that will make the best party in the world seem like a quiet glass of apple juice. Suffering, then glory. Glory through suffering. Suffer now, looking to the end. Which brings us to the end. Uh, What what has God taught us in the book of Job? Uh, It has been a bit of a mammoth series, and if I'm honest, uh, I, I don't really know how to conclude. Uh, On Wednesday night, we did the thing where we went around the group and we said, what's something that struck me or struck you? And all I really could say at the end, like, I could just say, I don't really know. There's just too much. 
Uh, it's been a really, I think, a hard, stretching time, but a very worthwhile time in Job. And I can't really recall too many other times we've had so many deep, uh, God-centered, gospel-focused conversations after church or in Bible study. And so I just really wanted to say thank you. Thank you, Narenburn, 10 a.m. Uh, thank you for throwing in. Thank you for your questions. Thank you for engaging with God in his word. It has made preaching and doing this an absolute joy. So thank you. Thank you so much. But how, how do you wrap it up? I'm going to take my lead from James 5.11, the only mention of Job in the New Testament. And it reads this. You've heard of, of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. God is full of compassion and mercy. Now, I'm not sure if as you were doing that little reflection thing before when uh, Wal was asking things that you thought about, if that's the sort of phrase you thought about with God. Because uh, maybe you, when you think of God in Job, you think of wise or powerful or mysterious in his ways. But full of compassion and mercy is apt. God did allow suffering to occur at Satan's hand, but God has been full of compassion and mercy towards Job. He was patient with Job. He listened to Job. He allowed Job to question. He heard Job's accusations. And he revealed himself to Job. Like almost no other human, he spoke to Job from out of the storm and he helped Job to see who he truly was. He brought Job to a place of humility, which is the best place for any human to ever be. Humble. Humble before the loving, powerful God. And God was full of compassion and mercy towards Job. And finally, in the end, as we've seen today, God poured blessing upon blessing on Job. It's interesting. I think I started this series going, yeah, we're going to learn about, a lot about suffering. But in the end, I think we've learned a lot about God. He is full of compassion and mercy, even in our suffering. The book of Job helps us see who God is. It doesn't give us answers, but it does introduce us to our God. Our God, full of compassion and mercy. Our God, who is comfort in suffering. And uh, it helps us, Job, to know our Saviour, Jesus Christ. On our screen for the last nine weeks has been the splash screen, How the Righteous Suffer. Uh, it was kind of intended to work on two levels, how us, the righteous ones, suffer. But also, it was to think about Jesus Christ, the ultimate righteous one. Because early in the book, Job is portrayed as righteous, and he is portrayed as one who suffers undeservedly. Uh, that, that's our Lord Jesus, the, the one who was righteous, ultimately, and suffered for us. And so, as Job suffered, we record Jesus' tears in the darkness of the cross. As Job lamented, we remember Jesus cried from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As Job was accused, we recall the accusations of Pharisee. As Job was raised, we think of Jesus' resurrection. Job helps us know Jesus. And even as we heard God speak in those final chapters, we saw how God's wisdom finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, things go together that don't seem to make sense like undeserved suffering. In Jesus Christ, evil is completely restrained on the cross. See, the book of Job helps us see Jesus. And as we see him, we persevere. Uh, this is what James 5.11 focuses on, persevering. 
it's not the most glamorous of qualities. The effort award, when I was at school, wasn't really the honourable award. Uh, at the beginning of this year, maybe when you were making your New Year's resolutions, you didn't necessarily write down to persevere. But perseverance in suffering is the goal of Job. Perseverance in suffering is the output of Job. This is how the righteous suffer. Doesn't sound that glamorous. We persevere. As we persevere, as we suffer, we show the world that Job, uh, like Job, that God is worthy of our trust, that God is worthy of our worship, even when our lives come apart. And so Narrabun, 10 a.m., persevere. Persevere by continually turning to God rather than running from Him. Persevere by lamenting. Lament your losses. Lament them with each other. Lament them to the God who hears and cares. Persevere. Persevere by continually looking up and looking around the world and looking at evil restrained on the cross. Persevere by knowing that the end will come. Glory comes through suffering. Persevere. Persevere with your eyes fixed on your Saviour who persevered for us. Let us run the race with perseverance, Narrabun. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've taught us uh, through the book of Job. Uh, we thank you uh, for today showing us that at the end comes vindication and at the end comes blessing upon blessing. So please, as we've truly seen you, Help us to persevere, persevere till the end, persevere with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen.